The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen-shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax. This is Tony Fox. <laughs> Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson and uh, guest Charlie Clawson. For the first time, uh, very happy to have her involved in the show. Tiffany Stevenson. Hello, Tiff. How are you? I'm good. We were just good. having a serious conversation off air about a comedy and I thought, fuck it, let's talk about this on the podcast. Talk about comedy on air. Yeah. yeah. We were talking about uh, women in comedy being booked for things and we yes. were talking about in the... It was it, well. It came off a conversation. Uh, International was, Women's Day. It was International Women's Day, and uh, you were doing a gig that was emceed by Chris Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> he's got fantastic hair. Yeah. Let's say that first. First and foremost, well, he's got awesome hair. Look, Chris just has the opinions that suit his hair and his fashion. <laughs> like they are all like you know era appropriate, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and he's a, he's a guy with a big heart, but he comes from that tradition of drinking beer and telling jokes about your wife and you know all yeah. that sort of stuff. And so on uh, International Women's Day, perfect act yes. to be emceeing <laughs> night <laughs> and so, bringing me on. He was great. You know what? Um, I wasn't I wasn't offended by him at all because um, he'd seen me a couple of nights ago. And he was like, "Oh, I think you're bloody fantastic." Yeah. Um, so he kind of rated it, but it was quite funny because it was at that point of the night he did his version of bitch, yeah, and and did all those sort of jokes. And then when oh, I'm gonna bring the next act up, and uh, I just, oh, she's really funny. She got cracking tits. <laughs> <laughs> Glass ceiling, mate. I'd like to see those tits on a glass ceiling. That's what I'd like to see. <laughs> and then at which point, like, the male comics in the back, the, oh, fucking hell, Jesus. Um, and I just, I found it really funny because um, his stuff was funny and he was getting laughs and I went up and I just rode off that, you know. I could have gone up and gone, oh, yeah, I'm really offended by anything you say, but I just go up and be funny and I think right. that's proof in itself. Also, um, there is a kind of layer of irony. He kind of knows right. what he's saying, you know. He kind of is it, and, and but, but he, he clearly doesn't believe it because he thinks I'm funny and said right. I was brilliant before I went up. So Yeah, no, he's the sort of guy who on stage will say something like that and you're going, oh, you are such a, you know, non-reconstructed <laughs> granddad. Yeah. Oh, He's not the sort of guy who'd be like, oh, she's a woman, she's not funny. Exactly. He's the sort of guy who's like, she's brilliant. You're really going to like her. Plus, (laughs) check out her knockers. (laughs) 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 But that got us on to the conversation that there's much more dangerous misogyny than that there's the, there's the low level or behind the scenes misogyny that that sort of straight up ahead old-fashioned sexism I don't mind. like your uncle at a party yeah, that's kind of yeah. i don't mind a little bit of uh old-fashioned chauvinism yeah um, i'm gonna say this is someone who's headlined the everyday sexism gala because i think it's interesting for people to know just how much of that kind of stuff goes on on a day-to-day basis but really i'm not um that's not what I find offensive because if it's out there, you can challenge it. Right. You know, and I'm used to playing weekend clubs like up the creek and it'll all be blokes in their 40s who mm. are 
proper geezers and I'm doing feminism. You know, I don't say what it is. If you have to say what it is, I think you've failed. Right. You know, uh, as a comedian. But obviously there's ideas. I'm a woman. You know, there's ideas in there that they might not have heard or seen before. And they'll come over afterwards and go... I love that, mate. I thought that was br- you were brilliant, you know. And so there's a thing of kind of showing them and also doing it in the places where they're not used to seeing that. One thing to go to do a lovely arts theatre room, which is, you know, what we love doing, which right. is all the dream, and do the stuff you want to do. But it's another to go out and do it in the clubs where it's not necessarily the stuff they're hearing. And then all of a sudden they go, wow, right. oh, yeah. And, I mean, and, I, but are you absolutely right about that? Like, on that point, like, I mean, it's fun to preach to the choir. Like, it's fun to be in a room that believes everything that you believe. But after a while, if you're a decent comedian and you're in a room where they believe everything you believe, all you want to do is fucking trick them into believing something they don't believe. Because the fun is in that. And definitely the fun is, I've always said, some people over the years accused me of, like, I guess, of my things, you know, being too mainstream. But I was always like, no, 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 no. I want to be as successful a mainstream comedian as all the guys that you think are only successful because they're doing shit jokes, right? I want to be able to do good jokes and be and mainstream. Be that successful. That, because yeah. that's when you're talking to the people who actually have to hear the things that you're saying. Well, there's a Chris Rock quote, isn't there? Like, if if it's too smart for your audience, then, you know... If you're making it too smart for them, you're, you know, you're the idiot. Right. You know, so you make it, you can do smart stuff and make it very accessible. I mean, and you've proved it's possible to do that. And I think it's possible to do that. And I'll do, you know, I, if I want to do intellectualism, but I can also talk about pop culture if I want, if I feel it's relevant. What I find quite interesting is, uh, we'll come back to the uh, base level misogyny, but I find it quite interesting with critics and stuff in the UK who get really annoyed if people make pop culture references. And I've got a bit in my show about the Kardashians at mm. the moment and the fact that they've procreated and therefore sort of continuing the lineage of assholery for time immemorial. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and people going, oh, it doesn't matter. They've just had a kid, so what? And I'll go, well, I will you know, take you back to Bill Hicks, who 20 years ago was talking about one Billy Ray Cyrus, who is everywhere like an STD now. Right. Miley Cyrus. Who, so yes. it never ends. Exactly. And But Bill Hicks, <laughs> Bill Hicks was doing pop culture stuff. That's what Billy Ray Cyrus is. So I, he, he was talking about boy bands and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, you've got to be able to reference what's going on in modern society. And also, by the way, if we don't, sh- like, I mean, if we don't turn our focus on things like the fact that Kim Kardashian earns essentially $70 million a year to do fuck all yeah. and that we, yeah, that, that society uses those things as a distraction of breads and circuses so that we don't pay attention to the inequality that's in our society. There was, I talk, I'm talking in the show a lot at the moment about the idea that it, it was recently revealed that 85 people control the same amount of wealth as 3.5 billion people, right? Wow. 85. Okay. Yeah. And the reason that we don't get angry at the 85 is we all have this secret hope inside us that one day be we'll one be of one of the 85. Yeah. And that's what Kim Kardashian does. It gets people sitting in the front of the TV, not sitting there going, it's fucking bullshit that this person who made a sex tape has more money than entire African countries. We sit yeah. there and go, oh, maybe, you know, we could be part of this or we can be fascinated by this or we can watch this, right? So if you're not commenting on it, you're letting it go by. Yeah. Well, there's a whole thing about, you know, what is a Kardashian because it, exists in and of is in and of itself for no other reason right apart from to be a kardashian that's right it's the most bizarre thing i've got about in the show there's about 20 minutes at the moment um 
on that. In fact, I was talking, we just bumped into Greg Fleet, didn't we? Yep. Um, and uh, that, that was the bit I was doing at the Late Show last night. So we were just sort of discussing that because I've got a, I've got a 20 minute routine on it that goes in and about that and then comes back round to like suicide and some other stuff. So it's all kind of weaved in with my personal stuff. But that's what I think brilliant comedy is. I think you're hitting the trio that George Carlin referred to, which is personal, political, social. Right. When you're doing all of those, then it's, you know, so, so you need to be able to hit all of those levels. Um, so yeah, so or, or let's come back to the close behind doors misogyny. Yes, I, let's. I, uh, By I, the way, that sounds like an excellent game show. <laughs> behind closed behind doors. closed doors misogyny. <laughs> Which sexist <laughs> lives in a house like this? Uh, <laughs> oh, imagine. <laughs> Look at the pictures on his wall. <laughs> it's like a garage in the outback. Um... Uh, yeah, I think that's the danger. I think that's way more dangerous. So with stuff last night, mm. like that last night, the audience were there. They right. enjoyed Chris. Then they enjoyed me. Yep. So no one left there going, women aren't funny. Right. You know? And I think there is an underlying um, thing as well that we can trust audiences a lot of the time that you can be laughing at, like, you don't have to be agreeing with the comedian to laugh at their jokes. Sometimes you can laugh at the the context or you can laugh at the idea that you don't agree with that and their idea is a silly idea. And yeah. then the next person can come on and say the complete opposite thing and you can laugh at them as well. It's not a night of like everyone just going, you, you must, if you laugh at these ideas, well, you've basically, you've signed the terms and conditions and we're yeah. going to need you to get together in our army afterwards. Like it's just a night of entertainment. Yeah, there's a great, uh, I saw a great George Carlin interview. I think it was on late night cable somewhere. Um, and someone said to him in the interview, um, you're seen as a bit of a, a shock comic. Um, does that, you know, does that upset you? And he was like, why would it upset me? Why would that offend me? Because shock is just another form of surprise, which is what all comedy is based on. Right. So it's about reactions in the room and mm -hmm. it's about playing with their expectations right. and subverting stuff sometimes, you know, and... And so, yeah, so last night that was kind of, there was no one that left there going, women aren't funny. I think what's really, really dangerous is, and this kind of happens, I think, in the UK with TV to a certain level, is there is there's stuff going on behind closed doors that you don't know about. You know, when they're booking shows and they're just going, well, we'll get a, no, we don't want a woman, no. And it's all the stuff you don't see that's really dangerous. And people in power. So we, kind of so we were talking doors. about this um, uh, and I was talking about my show, Gruen, how we endeavour, despite the fact that uh, in the industry it is a massively uh, male uh, skewed industry, particularly in the positions of the people who'd normally come on our show, we yeah. always endeavour to have at least one female panellist and often we endeavour to have two, which is all our panellists. But we have three regular males. So I think that's like in the interest of like getting people on, yeah. you know, you've got, to, you've got to try harder to find them. So, for example, this year during Gruen, what we did was during the season, we did three like trial shows during the day and ran like 12, you know, new female guests just through those panels in the hope that we would find one or two more guests that go, could go into our roster because we understand that to make that equality on TV, we're going to have to try harder to find them yeah. Then we had to find the, the men because there's fucking heaps of them. And the same with comedy shows. The women are there. People aren't making the effort to find them or to encourage them. Well, or it's to a put culture giver, isn't it? The TV is 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 putting the um uh, and that's always the phrase my friend Roisin Connery uses. It's a great one. She's, TV is a culture giver. So you're putting out there. 
you are saying by putting the women on the shows, you're saying it's possible to be a funny woman, right. and this is the level you can do it on. Yep. Now, in the UK, there's an argument that there's they're, they're kind of like, well, it's one in ten, and that's what we represent. But sometimes they were just they've just passed a ruling, and it's caused ah oh, such a big sort of fighty fuss in the UK, which I always find interesting. Um, because I feel like we're at the point where it has to be positive before uh-huh. it balances out, yep. you know? Um, and there are so many great women who haven't done uh, a lot of the big shows. And so the argument being is there's one in 10 and that's representative of the circuit. Right. So what you um, mean by that is that on like in the cl- clubs around town, that in most places there's one woman to say every 10 guys who's yeah. playing. Yeah. So their argument is, well, on our TV show – we should only represent what's on the circuit, which yeah. is one in every 10, right? Yeah, right, exactly. As if to say you follow the circuit rather right. than you are the person that influences what happens on the circuit. Yeah, TV's... that's a really, that you know what? That's a really stupid way of looking yeah, at it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, because TV. Oh, you know what I'm going to take my lead from on this nationally televised successful television program? Some open mic club that yeah. charges five quid. Yeah. Who <laughs> only gets one chick on because chicks aren't funny. Oh, no, yeah, we should base our business model on that. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's ridiculous. And also, I would argue that it increases anyway because once you get to a certain level in comedy, and that is being ready to be booked for TV and doing your own Edinburgh solo shows and touring and everything else. Once you get to that level, uh-huh. there are more women. Right. Because the... Percentage-wise. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So once you get to the top tier of who would be ready to be booked for TV, right. I reckon it's about one in five. Yeah. So the good the good people, like there's a lot more just shit blocks. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot, you know, like, yeah. that's the difference. The good people, in fact, often you find the strike rate with female comedians, like who have made it through, is incredibly high because they've already had to be that good to get to where they are. Yeah. You know, because you're one in ten when you go to a comedy club, you, you can't be shit. Yeah. You actually have you're to be good enough. representing all women every right. time you get up. You Which know. what a fucking, like that by itself is, like no man, and this is again a topic that comes up all the time in relation to this, but I think it's worth restating, which is, that if a guy is shit and it's rare that you've ever been to like a comedy night where someone was shit and it wasn't like at least one guy was shit, yeah. no one ever walks away and says men are shit at comedy. Yeah. Whereas if you're the one woman on the bill. And they don't like you. Right. Then that's it. We, women are written off. And with women in particular. Like they don't even do it with like, you know, if you were the one Asian comic. People yeah. don't go away and go, no, Asians aren't funny. Yeah. Or like black people aren't funny or whatever. But women, they will just say women aren't funny. Yeah, yeah. Which is incredible. It's incredible. I don't think – but, but the funny thing is I don't really uh, – and it's very – so I'm going to ask you the question. I'm yeah. not going to say. But I don't run into anyone from an audience point of view ever telling me that women aren't funny. It seems to be – you know, sometimes you're here in a TV studio or by someone who's booking things. But I don't – I can't really remember ever, like, you know, talking to someone who said, like, I mean, I have women guests regularly on this podcast and I've never got one person, like, message me going, please don't have women on there. Not not one. Yeah. You know? Well, I think um, it's interesting because we, a lot of female comics get this. We get, um, sometimes you get women coming up after shows and they'll go... I really liked you and I don't normally find women funny. Mm. And it's a double-edged sword because there's a compliment there, <laughs> right. but it's at the expense <laughs> of all other female comedians. You right, know. and you've got to balance the comedian part of you versus the woman part yeah, of you. Yeah, the ego that says, I'll take that you love right. me with yeah. the bit that going, sisterhood. Um, <laughs> which is, by the way, that's the voice in my head every time. <laughs> sisterhood. <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, 
So you have to kind of try and challenge it, but without being insulting. So I'll kind of take them on. I'll kind of go, oh, okay. Like how many female comedians have you seen? And then when you drill down a bit, you find like maybe one five years ago. And I'm like, wow. So you're basic. And I was like, does your mom not make you laugh? Does your sister not make you laugh? Come on, your friends are funny, you know, and I know my family's funny. So... So it's this kind of uh, wisdom that has been passed out right. that is received. You can't, go, you can't go past a group of girls out like at dinner without hear, hearing the table cackle. Mm. Like obviously women are funny to each other socially. Yeah. I mean, I haven't overheard what they're saying at those tables, but I can't imagine they're like, did you hear what that man said today? Yeah. And then they're all laughing. Yeah. How, how hilarious was he? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, And there's so many different layers and stuff as well. And, you know um, – so, so I, I think, I think the big thing is, I think this why well, it's a positive thing what they've done at the BBC. I think now, you know, so what is, so what is? So they the, passed a rule yeah. to say that on the BBC, and they can only do it on the BBC because it's public. Yeah, it's public funded. Yeah, and half uh, the people funding it are women. Yeah, fifty-one percent actually, more <laughs> yeah. than half. So, uh, so and they're getting paid less, so they're really funding yeah. <laughs> it with a higher proportion yeah. of their incomes. Yeah. All my money's going to this, um, and I'm not seeing myself represented. So they've made a rule that there will be no more all male panels right um and then the fuss has been kind of kicked up about like well they should have just done it and not announce it right which i can understand because people will watch and go tokenism and there's is that woman only on there Uh but i also think there's a calling out of people who haven't kind of i think they tried to do it sort of a year before a year and a half before and nothing really changed and then there are some women kind of going well it should be on merit it should be on merit and you know, some of those women aren't getting booked for the show. So I'm like, well, if you're saying, if you're, if you've not right. even admi- willing to admit that there's a problem and you're saying it's all merit, then you're not good enough. I think it should be on merit. I think the problem is that it's clearly not on merit. Yes. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. And like, and it's, I know I am in principle, like, you know, I don't like the idea of quotas in anything. Like, you know, but sometimes if something's like that needs to be represented fairly, if it's a thing that can be represented fairly, and clearly comedy isn't a thing that should be a nine to one. Maybe like, you know what, playing AFL football, it's probably mostly always going to be men. Yeah. Because like, you know, to have the physical, but maybe a woman will play at some stage, you know, maybe yeah. in the future. But right now, like that's an industry where I'm like, okay, well, we don't need a quota that every team needs a girl. Yeah. Although actually that would... Been interesting. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe for some interesting games. But comedy is not that. Yeah. Like comedy is a job where there should be more equal representation. Like we've gone too long without having funny women. Like, you know. Sidelined. Like, and, but we're also. Like that whole myth. Like you can't watch like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler host the fucking Golden Globes. Oh, it was amazing. And tell wasn't me it? that women aren't funny. You can't yeah. watch, you know, French and Saunders for like a decade and tell me that women aren't funny. You can't, you know, this Judith Lucy is probably, if not the best comedian who's ever come out of this country. Like it certainly would always be Irrelevant in that conversation when it, yeah. when it, you know, when it happens, you know, and there'd be a bunch of others too. I mean, it's there's so much evidence. Like, it's not like... Do you know what I always find amazing? They'll do these, like, sort of cod science studies um, and they sort of happen uh, where they go, like, evolution, blah, 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 blah. And I go, okay, if you want to talk about evolution... (laughs) Yeah, that's science speak, by the way. (laughs) Sisterhood, evolution, blah, blah, blah. blah. (laughs) That's how the creationists refer to it. (laughs) Evolution, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I'm very erudite, Will. I no, I like it. that about it's me. Good. Um, 
So, I didn't realise this was a science podcast. But yeah, well, if we've got a little highfalutin for people. <laughs> <laughs> we started with we started with misogyny and now we've moved on to science. Here we yes, go, guys. Yeah, let's strap in for some evolution. Yep. Um, so, uh, well, actually, strap yourself onto your dinosaur because um, if you're a creationist, you believe they went into the ark. Oh yes, yeah, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> well, you know what? The whole art. The, I don't know how this Noah. See, this is the problem with this Noah movies that's coming out. You know, Darren Aronofsky's done this Noah movie with Russell Crowe, right. and I just don't know how you do that movie in, in like in our modern context. How do you pull off the idea that all the animals just get on? The boat. Like, how are they going to make that in a movie? That some one dude in the olden days can make a boat big enough that all the animals go on and they don't kill each other. Like, how do you make that movie? Well, also, all the animals that, since I've been here, that I didn't even know existed, (laughs) I went to the zoo and I was like, what is that? Oh, plus, we've (laughs) only got a third of them left now. Like, we've killed off most of the fucking animals. Like, most of the animals since, like, you know, your, your god times... Have, have become extinct. God times. Well, you know, you, <laughs> since you know our fictional times, whenever that is, whenever they made that up. But, like, if that if that Noah thing was true, like, the, you know, species are in, extinct, so there was heaps more animals than we have now. And you still couldn't fit all the animals we have now, even if it was just two of each of them yeah. on the boat, right? Yeah, exactly. That a man made himself. Yeah, and then the stags and the hens would turn up in there. Awesome party costume. (laughs) (laughs) And they'd be made to pay some kind of guarantee so that they didn't wreck the ark before it all (laughs) took. And Uh, there'd still be some comedian like, how do you get booked on that ark, mate? (laughs) I've been looking for some cruise work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, mate, it's an amazing run. Top dollar. Um, (laughs) You can eat whatever animals you want. They are overcrowded. Uh, They didn't think about bringing anything on to feed them. Yeah. Oh, imagine the interspecies sex. Anyway, oh uh, <laughs> I know why that popped into my head. Um, so, so if we go back to an evolutionary thing about uh, the, you know the funniness of men yeah. and women, so they kind of go biologically, women don't aren't programmed to men do it to attract female. Blah blah blah. And I go, well, if we take it right back to the hunter gatherer tribes, where before the birth of misogyny and before kind of classism, really. Uh, everyone had an equal part in that society, you know, in the hunter-gatherer tribes. So everyone had different skills, but they were equal. Right. So they were different, but equal. It wasn't seen that if you could run faster, you were better because men could run faster. But actually, women women would carry the children and they would observe. So when they're hunting, they're observing the land. Right. So women are amazing observers. So the idea that women would not be good at observational comedy... Is fundamentally flawed. And you're all dicks if that's the way you think. Women, I mean, come on, women who see everything, who hear everything, who remember everything. Well, but know? also, I just like anytime someone says, oh, well, evolution, blah, like, like this idea that we are chained to what we once were. Yeah. That we should not aspire to be better than we were. That we should not aspire to evolve. We should not aspire to be the people that people... I don't want to be the people they make documentaries about, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, there were some people, you know, who live in my suburb in Sydney who lived in South Africa during the documentary periods, you know, and they don't want to talk about that. And I don't want to be... Australia still doesn't have gay marriage. Scotland's got fucking gay marriage now. 19 countries now officially have gay marriage. We're not going to make the top 20. We... If we don't make the top 50, we're in fucking documentary territory. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you don't want to be that. You don't want to be – why do you say, well, it's always been like this. Men have always been like this. So Men what are if violent it's... because of like we, yeah. that, it's in our nature. To, well, you know what? Let's evolve past that. Let's get better than that. 
Yeah, exactly. Do we not aspire just, to be better than just cavemen? Just because it's always been a way doesn't mean that it always should be. And, and forever and evermore. Well, I think it's great for us to understand these things. Like, I, I think it's great for us to say the reason that I behave like this or the reason that my instinct is to be like this is because that it's inside me and this is, you know, and then know in that situation how to not give in to that. Isn't like, that, that what, isn't that what thing, being uh, civilised is? Right. Isn't that the part, the base animal part of your brain, you know, uh, fighting with the intellectual side right. that you have these feelings and you have these fears and they always come out of fear. You have these feelings and you have these fears, but the better part of you overrides it. Right. You know, no one could ever say, you know, if someone says they've never had a sexist thought or a racist thought or a homophobic thought, then I they're lying. I had one each of the times you just said those words. Yeah. <laughs> I thought of one, there was all the one person. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> But at least admitting it, but going the better part of you goes, that's ridiculous because that's a tribal part of us Mm -hmm. and we still hold on to that. We're always looking for little tribes that we can join and whether it's, you know, a country, whether it's in a kind of jingoistic sense or whether it's on a, uh, you know, you're all part of little tribes and that that hasn't changed. But we also have the, you know, we have the ability to think about who we are and where we are in the universe and animals don't have that. You know, we have sense of self and what, and I guess one of the reasons I love stand up and this may sound very wanky uh, is because it's the greatest exploration of self there is. You could do any kind of therapy in the world, but beautiful stand up or good stand up to me is all philosophy. No, but it's, I mean, I say this, uh, a little bit when I get interviewed about the show and they ask me what it's about. And I say it's one of the most selfish jobs in the world somehow because it basically I have a nine-month conversation with myself about what I think of the world and where I see my place in it. And that is essentially what I do for nine months. I get out on stage and I talk through, you know, where I'm at, what I think I'm learning from that, you know, what I've challenged myself on or what I used to believe that I don't believe now or what I'm passionate about that we should be talking about. And you get to talk about it every night. You get to get out there and kind of, and I always start uh, like quite often, like, you know, and sometimes even with the same joke, like sometimes you'll start thinking a joke is about something, but midway through you'll be like, oh, it's about that. It's not, it's, yeah, it's about this. And I, I, I find that really interesting. I think people wouldn't understand that you can sometimes have the same joke and it can become about something. It's like you didn't know what it was about. You yeah. knew that you were meant to be telling it, but you didn't know the reason you were telling it. And it kind of had to explain it to you or whatever, which yeah, I love. Yeah, like a, a, a discovering, a discovering yeah. a secret within it. I think, um, I think what's really lovely is that you can, um, you can have, uh, you know, you can go, I, what I love doing is leap and the jokes will appear. So going out there, maybe knowing sometimes a couple of things that I want to talk about and then just seeing what's in the room, Uh the energy and the vibe and what, you know, and you will find that that's when you say knowing what the joke is about, there are themes in your work and you don't realize until you've done a couple of Mm -hmm. hour long shows or whatever you go, Oh, these are reoccurring themes. These are always going to be like sticking points like posts that hold together the marquee of Tiffany Stevenson, you know, so there's always going to be something on some level that is there that is an anger about something or, a, you know, uh, a mis- a confusion about something. And there'll always be, there's little pinpoints and you go, those are themes. I always know that there's going to be something around there. So like you say, even if a joke comes out about something else, then you'll go, oh, of course it relates back to all of this. Right. So your understanding of yourself and, and the world. So it is about giving a worldview, but it is also about moral relativism in a way, isn't it? You know, yep. and we're kind of looking at 
what stand up to treading the gray area going oh is this you know that thing we were talking about before about irony or subversion and everything else that's what is interesting when you and it goes into- through i mean You'd see this particularly being in London where, you know, you, like trends come and go very, like not yeah. very quickly, but like, yeah. They do, yeah. But there is like, you know, suddenly everybody's doing one sort of, you know, joke and or, you know, one sort of thing. I mean, I was in LA when the whole, you know, uh, Daniel Tosh rape joke, you know, thing happened. Yeah. And you did see it. You were looking around town going, there's heaps of people doing rape jokes. And I don't know. Like where the, why this happened or why they want to be doing rape jokes? Like you know, I yeah. mean, none of them are good rape jokes. Like none of them are. Well, that's <clears> the <throat> thing that I do. You know, I believe it is possible to have. You know, the problem is is that one crappy open spot does a terrible joke about it right. that then negates anyone who's made a great uh-huh. point about it at the expense of the rapist, probably. You know, right. who's done a great routine and then all of a sudden it becomes a thing of rape jokes and you know, you can't. judge Johnny shit tits against an amazing comedian that's doing you know and they're trying to push buttons I guess and that's the problem they're trying to be controversial but But you should be able to push your own buttons yeah like you know what once like once, like, you know, you just, think about it and think if right. you think this is a thing you want to yeah. put out do into the really world. Do you really want to be like that's the thing that I'm always like I'm like why, why do you want to tell rape jokes there is so Tell some cake jokes. There are heaps <laughs> of things that you can tell jokes about. Yeah. That, you know, or try to actually talk about something that genuinely is shocking. The first time people did those sort of jokes, they were provocative and they were shocking because people weren't talking about that sort of thing. Yeah. But once everybody's talking about something, then isn't it time to go away and try to find what the new thing is, not just jump in? Just move on. Yeah. I, it's you, like the people who watch Bill Hicks and, and miss the point of what it was about. You know, yeah. the people who watch Bill Hicks and forgot the philosophy and forgot the idea that he was talking about those things like you were saying before and just thought, oh, I need to talk about drugs and, you know, and not believing in Jesus or whatever. And don't do adverts and blah, 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 and, right. you know, and all of that. And you're going, oh, that's that's a bit that people always take out of context of Hicks's. And it was actually specifically talking about Jay Leno, wasn't it, at the time, doing a Doritos ad. Yes. Um, and so that you know, you get people kind of taught and actors and kind of going, oh, and Bill, Hitt, you know, and you're like, you, you've completely taken out of context what he was saying, right? <laughs> you know, like he's talking about endorsement, which is a different thing again, appearing in a in a commercial. But I think the rule, it, I mean, this is the rule that I try and go by, and you have your own moral code and you have your own ethics. But I always try and punch up, right? I don't want to punch down. I don't want to hit the people who I think are already struggling and have it hard and so that's why i go the kardashians can take it they're sitting right. on top of a very rich empire because their dad essentially got oj off you know right. like that's that's where it all start and the mum made the sex tape with the like that was all engineered so i go the kardashians can take it the royal oh, no. family can, they take, can take it, it. exactly the video so- showed they could take it <laughs> i have not seen the video so <laughs> that was just a cheap joke <laughs> <laughs> But what if no, she'd been but, given it? You know, but, that, that, well, that's a totally different I mean, tape. to be honest, yeah. Um, but I agree with you about punching up because there's no fun in punching down. That's why jokes about marginalised people just aren't funny. Like if you're joking about someone who is less fortunate than you, it yeah. never comes across as being yeah. funny. You just look like a dick. It's the reason <laughs> there's not a heap of like what you call really right-wing comedians because normally when you see them, although there are some, like I yeah. mean, of course, it's a broad church, but – because when you punch down, it makes a lot of audiences feel uncomfortable. And that's what a lot of the time, you know, what they yeah. make fun of. They punch down, not punch up. Yeah, I was in New York and I can't remember who it was, but someone did a really long routine about a tramp. And everyone just went, dude, 
he's a tramp. Right. You know, like, look, I don't know that he's Finally, <laughs> finally someone's gone after the homeless <laughs> yeah. and put them in their place. Exactly. Had the first time good... they're in a place. Right. <laughs> Rather than out of a place. That's the I ultimate mean, insult. Yeah. They don't have a place of their own, but I put them in their place. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're like, it just doesn't need to happen. So, oh. you know, but then that's, and that's the beauty of comedy. All of this stuff kind of exists, but it's sort of come, like you, you'll get it all, all kind of regurgitate. It's all kind of swilling around in this jacuzzi. Right. And then some of the shit skin and toenails float to the top and people go, ah, oh, what's the, you know, and they latch onto a thing and, you know, and it beca- and it's so weird because obviously there's massive universal themes in comedy. So it's interesting that like in Edinburgh this year, feminism, you know, they were like, finally feminism. And you're like, oh, come on. There's always been feminist comics. There's always right. been feminism happening. But I guess media and, and, and reviewers and everything else have to have something to latch on yeah, to. Yeah, this is the theme of this year. Yeah. You know, one year it was dad's dying. You know, that right. was like an Edinburgh thing. of like yeah. everyone's, everyone's you know, dead, the dead dad show. It's the you dead know. dad, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and another year that it's like, it's, you know, whimsy or whatever. It's so, yeah. you know, it's just, it's an angle. I suppose they're always looking for an angle. And but, they're um, also trying to define a thousand show festival with one like theme or idea as yeah. if like the five or six really good shows that are about dead dads or, you know, yeah. very proactive about feminism are somehow like, you know, representative of the thousand other shows that are going on. That are going on at yeah. the festival, yeah. You can't sum it up in it. You can say that there's a mood or or that all the or that some of the best shows have from like similar themes like yes. which is what they're saying normally in that regard yeah like you know so and so shows doing well and so and shows these shows are popping and they're both about this same similar topic so that's what it's about you know yeah which is good though I mean it's I mean I do often think that in the same way as they say that under conservative governments alternative comedy tends and political comedy tends to you know be more active and be more yeah. relevant I think that. You know, in the way that I th- think there was like an ironic, maybe ironic or hipstery ironic swing back t- towards, you know, open misogyny and open racism and stuff. You know yeah. how people yeah. like thought it was cool for a while? Yeah. I think now there's been, I feel like we're back in a, uh, I'm yeah. so sick of people just like saying things that they think are ironically racist, which are actually just racist. I'm waiting for the, uh, for the, the bit to come back in, which I guess is more leaning towards my style of comedy. Uh, which is the slightly more rock and roll ethos. I kind of, you know, that kind of, that I think. What do you mean by that? Tell us well, what you Well, I, I, I kind of mean the more kind of free, the long form, right. you know, long form stuff. Because uh, even with telly, you know, you're essentially narrowing down and kind of getting out in little sound bites of things. And mm. I, what I think would be amazing, and I think it's happening now because of Netflix and stuff like that being being huge is that we're going to get the long form back. We're going to get to see the narrative. We're going to get to see people explore ideas over an hour and just more of the, you know, obviously Louis CK, you know, uh, becoming massive again in, in recent years and, and, and people like George Carlin who started off as the suit comic and then became this kind of great philosophical ideas, man, you know? So I I think that we were, we're coming back into that again. And I think that's quite exciting because I think we've been through a very shiny, flawed kind of glossy, Uh you know, guys in suits kind of doing very broad stuff, uh, which is great. And there's loads of people who are really great at doing that. But then I think it's, you know, everything goes in trends. You know, right. like Stuart Lee once said that he comes in and out of fashion about every seven years, right. you know? So <laughs> he's in a cycle, like the seven-year itch. We, we want Stuart Lee. We're bored of Stuart Lee. We want Stuart Lee. 
And that must yeah. be such a hilarious thing as your career to kind of know about yourself as well, though. Yeah. Like you're like, I'm really hot and it's really cool and everyone's into me. And then when you start to see it go, you're like, I might as well go on a holiday for four years. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah. Let's just let's just chill for a little period of. Um, <laughs> You know, but but Stuart's got some fans who are like kind of evangelical. You know, like Stuart has some crazy fans. Oh um, no, no, no! I, I, I mean, I love Stuart. Like, as a, like he's one of those guys that I always look to to you know to challenge myself and see what I'm doing with my work. I got a review when I was at Soho uh, last year doing my show where uh, the guy was like. Well, he's no Stuart Lee, and I was like, "Yeah, no, 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 who I'm are? not." But who I'm asked? Not. Who is? Who? I didn't you say, say I was. Yeah. I wasn't like, "He's the Australian Stuart Lee." No, I'm not. Yeah, nothing like that. Yeah, that's so. It's bizarre, isn't it, that he's held up to this kind of gold standard? And I'm, but also, I think I Stuart like, thinks it's quite funny as right. well. Um, I think Stuart thinks it's quite because then in person, you know, knowing Stuart, he's a bit different. But, right. You know, no one is, you know, the king of the clowns. Right. And I think it's like Rich Hall or someone said that before, you know, like we're all like, like no one is, we're all just trying to do right. what we do. And so no one is, but, but, but Stuart is held up to that stat. And I don't know if it's something that he's actively pursued himself. No, I don't think it is because so, I'm not sure that you want that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not sure that, and it's, it's interesting even when people do nominate, like, you know, that idea of like, sometimes people say, who's the funniest person like in the world, who's the best stand up in the world. And it's such a, you know, silly thing. And at the moment, you know, people would say maybe like, you know, well, in the last few years, I think people would have said maybe Louis was the best stand-up in the yeah. world. But it's such a subjective idea that someone is – like, as we all know from stand-up, you can be the biggest deal in one place and go to another place where nobody knows you and nobody's into you. Like, yeah. that's one of the kind of great <laughs> things about the job is, yeah. you know, that that happens. And you have to prove it all again, you know. I Every come, time. I've come here and no one really knows me here, so okay. I'm just working. So let's get you know? to that. Now, yeah. so that's why, anyway, that, we, that started well. I like that. It was good. That was a good intro. <laughs> but let's um, tell people, because we're here in Adelaide recording yeah. this, and you're here. Uh, is this, are these your first shows in Australia? Uh, I did. I was at the Sydney Comedy Store for about uh, four nights before. But on this here. trip, right? On this yeah. trip, yeah, yeah, So this yeah, trip yeah. is your first. So it's my yeah, it's my foray into Australian territory. So yeah, I've never been before. Um, now, because so. we, we've known each other for years, we met. Mate, did we meet in Edinburgh? Edinburgh, two thousand and six. Probably. In fact, I was doing. I was probably in talk radio as directed by Stuart Lee. Yeah, I think that, that year, is right. That's, yeah, that is absolutely in a big right. upside down purple cow. Yes. Which let's just. I'm going to put this out there. Don't do plays in marquees. Right. Because I every day had like a really sad monologue, and then a samba band would go past us. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the tent I'm performing in in the gardens here. There are times where if like I'm trying to do something a bit poignant or whatever, you will just hear a car burn past or people on the rides or whatever. Yeah. Or someone who's doing a beatbox like I did Fat Cave right. last night. And just in, just in my pause, I heard... And I was like, ah, ah, I can't give it any space. <laughs> you're like, you're killing me. Just the sound bleed, yeah. Um, and then uh, over the years, I've done uh, a great uh, show that you do in London. Uh, now, yep. Old Rope. Now, tell people about this show, like, who have not heard of it. People oh. would have heard me mention this on the podcast before because I have talked about doing it. But run people through how, what your involvement is in that and how that started and what it is and what it means. Uh, old Rope. Okay, so originally the uh, concept, the idea of the night was sort of started by uh, Phil Nickel and Kerry Marks years and years ago. Uh, and back then it was just comics doing material to other comics. And then I did my first... 
I did like a character for like eight months, like a footballer's wife sort of character. Um, and then I did my first ever straight five minutes of stand up at Old Rope, which is like kind of just like like going into the furnace because it's all really just well-known comics and barely any audience. Yep. But it went really well. And I had like a few people come over and go, oh, that was great. You were so funny, you know, and that was my, okay, I actually want to do this as me. I don't want to separate myself from the uh -huh. audience. Um so so that's what I did. And then I started sort of co-hosting it with Phil. And then about five years ago, he just went, I think you should just have it. So he kind of pops in every now and again. But essentially what it is, is it's a new material night. And um, it is, we have a noose hanging from the stage, yep. which represents money for old rope. Mm -hmm. So the acts get up and they all do new material. And it's, we sort of police each other as well. If someone's doing old, you're allowed to shout rope um, because they've got to hold the rope. If it's yeah. an old piece of material, you grab onto the rope, money for old rope. And if you're not holding the rope, then it's all new. But the acts that do it are incredible. So the risk is never in the performer. It's always in the material because right. you've got like the gold standard of everyone who performs there. So you've done it's it. It's ridiculous. You get like some nights when you just pop down, if I'm in town, I'll just pop down even just to say hello. And, and it's yeah. always like a gala lineup. Yeah, it's, it's always crazy. like the cool and co the coolest acts, you know, the ones yeah. who want to go down to a club like that and try this stuff out yeah i mean rich hall lives there it's his it's yeah. his london it's his honestly it's his london residency so he um if he's not sat at the bar in a 10 gallon hat it feels like kind of weird um but uh my friend Stuart black said it's kind of like not having the uh ravens at the tower of london you know when rich isn't there because if he's right. in london rich does it every week and he watches everyone right and that's the great and thing he, and, no he and, and the last time I was there because I just popped down to say hello because I was doing other shows last time he'll also bully you on stage yeah yeah, like, yeah. he was like he just essentially was in my ear until I agreed to get up yeah yeah what are you doing get out yeah <laughs> Is it? He's uh, he's phenomenal, and I think that's how I got good watching people like Rich uh -huh. uh, and Mike Wilmot and and the like every week, you know, uh, because he, Rich is just glorious. I mean, he, there's just such an ease. Obviously, he's been doing it for that long, but it's just so easy, and you uh -huh. can get up there and you can see him working through the ideas, and it's like a beautiful, smart brain that you're watching, and that's how it is for everyone that gets up, you know. So we have uh, on on a night you can have so like the regulars are Milton Jones, Rich Hall, Robin Ince, so they would be three of the regulars. Tony Laws are regular. Yep. you know uh and uh roisin um you know who hasn't done it for a little while but was a regular for for a couple of years you know so we get we've got james acaster we get great people coming through and then you get people like steve merchant jason manford coming down and doing it you know big like hannibal barres if he's in town yeah, Todd right. barry wow. so all the american acts come over and do it as well because rich is like this is the room to do in london yep. like it's the you know so we all think it's the best room um and and it, but it's just you, so you also get kind of lots of new comics coming down to watch. But what we did was I kind of took it and wanted to make it have a proper audience. So you know that we have on any given Monday that we will have between 40 to 100 people yep. watching people do new stuff and then a headline spot who does what they want, yep. you know. Um, and so it can be old and new or just old or, you know, whatever, whatever. they, yeah. yeah. So, um, but it feels like it, uh, someone said to me before I left to come here, they were like, oh, we're really going to miss you because uh, two friends of mine, one is an event manager, the other one is an actor. And he's like, this is like family for us. This uh -huh. is like our home because we, if we've had a bit of a shit 
you know, a couple of weeks or whatever, we're like, we need to go to Old Rope again and we need to go. And we love comedy and we're obsessed with watching the how people are yeah. working how it. How people and then, put it together. Yeah, and then seeing it like, you know, the finished product, either at a gala show or someone's tour show or on television and going, I saw that from the genesis to what it is now. And that's... I'm fascinated by... Because I've started doing more and more of... Because basically what I've been trying to do with my writing is incorporate, you know, set list has helped definitely a lot with it, um, but incorporate that idea of, like, writing more on stage. You know, like, still writing and still coming up with ideas, but, like, really trying to – because Bill Burr, like, said to me – well, didn't even say to me. I overheard him. Like, we were backstage and he was talking to someone else. But he was talking about the idea of, like, if you're going to go and tell your friends a story, like a really funny story, you don't sit at home and go, I'll say this, then I'll say this. You trust that, you know, you know how to tell a story. And so I've been trying to combine both and I did like a series of eight completely improvised hours at the Sydney Comedy Store in front of a paying audience and I wasn't sure if people would come out to them. Like, you know, who wants to come and see me like just make stuff up for an entire hour? It might be shit. they, They all sold out. They were great shows. I barely used anything from them actually in this show but what they did... working the muscle. Right. That's what it gave me. It gave me the idea of you go away and you think of the things you want to talk about and then take them out on stage. So I'm like six shows in now and I've not done the whole show yet because I'm still just doing that thing of just going, no, 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 I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to work and I'm going to be in that space. And I've been so gratified by how much people enjoy watching that process. Yeah. Because you're always so scared. You're like, I'll just show them the best thing I have right now. Rather than going, no, 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 no. I can be funny and entertaining. Trust, yeah. And get to something better than this thing that I have right now. Trust in being able to hold them, knowing that you're interesting enough and that your ideas are there. And you'll hit the funny. You know you'll hit the funny, yeah. I've had a couple of bits that I've just sort of written on stage exactly the same thing, having done the hour here over the last couple of days and they've just become big add-on bits and I and you know uh, Alexis Dubas was saying the same we did a late show and he's like I just wrote that bit of a risk to do it at a late night show where you go there's like 400 people or whatever and right. you know it might not work but then you go but that's what comedy's about and that's when it's exciting when you go no I'm going to punt it out right. and you're going to like it because I'm confident in it and you know and it doesn't have to be bang 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 really nailed really like precise tight punchlines because actually sometimes an audience thinks oh that's too rehearsed that feels weird right. and they like the looseness of or it or a joke can take you out of the moment or what we forget of course is that like you were saying before the idea of you know George Carlin and shock like sometimes it is tension and release. Yeah. So if you have one of those moments where the entire – I mean I had something in the show last night where I was just doing an improv bit with the audience member and like they whatever the topic was, I can't even remember what it was, but it was something that was like one of those areas where everyone's like, oh, you're not going to be able to make anything funny out of that. And like I dug and I dug. And then of course when I got to something that was really funny, the audience explodes because – they, they're panicking like, they, they don't were panicking like, <laughs> yeah. and, the, and they could see me going like I'm fucking dig and then bang and because you've got that tension and release and sometimes I think the more you do the show you can lose the tension and release because you can't fake it as well as when it first happens but you but that's always the thing you're always going to find the release because you're brilliant and you've been doing it for this long you know and the same way with Rich because he's 
brilliant and he's been doing it for years you know it's never you know like the audience might kind of and you might be right. wandering but it's always going to be there because well, it's your funny bones it's right. always going to be there you know so you've come out to Australia you're doing Adelaide yep. at the moment you're on at the Rhino Room people can see your show at 6 o'clock 6 o'clock at yep. the Rhino Room uh, Tuesday to Saturday right so all no. next week there's there's shows yeah now, and then do you go where do you go after that uh, well I've just uh, I think I'm coming back for Sydney Comedy Festival oh you are going to gonna? Do, yeah awesome. I think so to do a few dates um, we're just working that out at the moment and I think uh, yeah I think I might be coming to do some Melbourne kind of uh, dates as well awesome. but that's all being spoken all right. about at the moment so. well that's good though like yeah. we can you know that's yeah. what I want people to know if they're listening if yes. they can, where they can find you so uh, this is your first time to Adelaide uh, yeah. How have you? Uh, how have you found Adelaide? I love it. I love it. I forget, like, because it's so beautiful here, and you go, <laughs> you know, you go to the beach, which is what I did on the first day, and I came back, and then I'm on stage, and I'm going, oh no, I've got to talk about these dicks, the Kardashians. <laughs> I've had such a nice day in the sunshine and the sea, and these dicks are here again, aren't they? You know, following me round. Um, <laughs> it's beautiful. I, a couple of a couple of really uh, sort of lovely things. Like I got on a bus in Sydney, and oh my god, the bus drivers are incredible. So not used to that as a Londoner. What, what you're you used mean? to is just open hostility when you get on a bus. See, I don't think Australians would think that about bus drivers here. So oh. that, I think that's an interesting perspective. Oh, so nice. Like I got. Well, I'll tell you how I got on the bus as well. Maybe right. this is why he was nice to me. Okay, here we go. But I was in Newtown uh-huh. and uh, I'd done a bit of shopping mm-hmm. and I'm going, oh, I'm going to go down to Darling Harbour and just have a look because nice. I haven't seen it. Right. So I'll get a bus. Um, so I can see the bus coming. I'm like, oh, I'm really thirsty. I get a drink and I see that there's a sign. This guy's got a little shop and he's like coconut water. And I was like, I'll get a carton of that. Hop on the bus. Good to go. Good to go. And I had on, uh, you won't be able to see them because we're in podcasts, but I've got them in my bag. Some heart-shaped sunglasses, some pink heart-shaped sunglasses, okay, nice. right? Yep. Um, at my holiday gear, some some shopping bags, right? right? <laughs> so I order my drink and uh, he doesn't hand me a cart and he takes out a coconut, oh, drills yeah, a hole right. in the side of oh. it and sticks a massive straw in it. So I get onto the bus. So you're hold, you've got your holiday clothes on holding a coconut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder he was so nice to me. I mean, literally, I just like everyone on the bus was looking like, what the fuck is that? Um, Where did you get on this bus? And I was bu- like, is this the bus to Darling Arbor? <laughs> 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 An 82-year-old oh, woman got up and gave me a seat and she was like, love, I think you needed more than I do. Right. Um, I Did you just come straight from Gilligan's Island? Is <laughs> yes, that where- <laughs> it's really so ridiculous. And there's a moment of feeling so it. outside. So he was so lovely. Oh. He was like, no, you're on the wrong bus, but I'll drop you. And he dropped me off at a non-stop and went, don't oh, pay serious? me. Oh, yeah, he was so nice. Oh, well, that but is maybe, nice. You're yeah. right. You're absolutely and right. And so I hopped off. And uh, then when I hopped off the bus, there was a moment, where, you know when you never feel less than yourself? And I, I was talking about it with Glenn Wall because Glenn was doing shows at the store. We were sort of staying in an apartment together. Uh-huh. And um, he went, you know what it is? It's it's it, If I was part of a group... <laughs> that I wouldn't have looked so mental, but right. I was on my own. And nah. then all of a sudden you're on your own and you just look like the weirdo. And I bumped into sort of two guys, like one of whom had like a Pearl Jam t-shirt on. And I was like, oh, you would be the kind of people I would be friends with at home. And they just looked at me with such abject disgust. Right. <laughs> because they couldn't get their head around, like, what is this in front of us? Um, and I was like, no, but I'm your kind of people. Right. And it was 
it was so weird. Um, it was, yeah, I never felt less like myself. But because it's been so hot here, I've got all these, like today I've got like neon colours on. I've been, I've been dressing in quite tropical colours and it's not my normal stage wear because my normal stage wear is always quite black, skulls, right. a little motif. Well, you know, also, like, if you were wearing the clothes that you're wearing right t-shirt. now in like London doing shows, yeah. firstly, you would freeze to death. Yeah. <laughs> Secondly, you would just look like a, you'd come home from a rave. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, you'd be like, why is she wearing those clothes? Is she like in construction? Does she <laughs> yeah. need to be seen at night? I've, I actually do have what looks like a high-vis vest on at the moment. I know, yes. but in this weather, in yeah. this festival city, yeah. you are appropriately attired. Yes. But in the middle of London, in some like club underground, in the middle of the, that would not look... No, it no. wouldn't work. It wouldn't fly. Um, but it's weird. So I've been wearing this on stage. and uh, That's interesting. So you don't have a set thing you wear on stage? You don't well, wear I, the same thing every night? No, I don't wear the same thing every night. I wear whatever I feel like wearing. Mm. And it's always been a big thing of mine because there used to be a thing about uh, someone, another uh, female comment said to me, oh, like, uh, uh, you know, w- women are wearing dresses on stage all of a sudden now. And I was like... Mm, n- like oh it's a trend I was like no I've always worn what I want if I've gone right. out in something in the day and I've got a gig that evening and I've not got a chance to change I'm going that. on in that yeah and I'm not going to hide my I'm not about I'm not I'm not trying to desexualize myself uh-huh. I'm not trying to sexualize myself right. but I'm not openly going I'm going to make myself look like a bag of shit before I get on stage. So, right, because that so goes that, back to that thing. And I won't name these comedians because I don't think they're doing anything wrong, by the way. But I've heard comedians talk about the idea of, like, and particularly pretty comedians, like yeah. talk about the idea that, like, they want to plane themselves down a little bit on stage because being a girly girl or being, like, a pretty girl or whatever, you know, for yeah. whatever reason they think that's what you have yeah. to do no and which I'm, in itself goes back to that like silent misogyny thing that we're talking about of like you know kind of saying that you have to like almost like dress like a man to be funny yeah yeah not only do you have to be a man if you're not a man you better fucking dress like a man yeah you better look like one well that's the thing i think you have to be <laughs> whereas in the uk by the way with people like russell brand and all those guys men are mostly dressing like, like women. women yeah exactly <laughs> exactly get off our leggings <laughs> the man leggings <laughs> The, well, jeggings or whatever they're called, yep. man leggings. Yeah, I I think it's just about if I do that, then I am not myself. Right. And oh, I mean, my comedy is so personal, personal that right. I can't go on and not be me. Right. Because what would the point be? So, so I'm going to wear whatever, whatever the fuck I want to wear. What's right. it got to do with anything? You know, like this is a bit. Okay, I'm going to say it on here, but this is a bit that I've just worked up into the show. Mm-hmm. Like the obsession with clothes and what clothes women wear is incredible to me. Um, like the red carpet at the Oscars and Kate Blanchett is, there was that brilliant moment of her going, you don't ask the guys what they're wearing. Right. And they're going, she's done brilliant work and they're going, what are you wearing? Who are you wearing? And whenever I see that, it reminds me of that bit in uh, My Cousin Vinny, you know, where uh, Joe Pesci's about to go deer hunting and, and Marisa Tomei says to him, he says to Marisa Tomei, like, well, what pants should I wear? Or like, what clothes should I wear? And she goes, imagine you're a deer. You're walking across the road, you see a puddle, and you're thirsty. So you put your little dear lips on the puddle, and you take a drink, and then, bam, some motherfucker shoots you. Now, I ask you, do you give a fuck what kind of pants he was wearing? <laughs> and that's how I feel every time I hear that as a kind of, like, what are you wearing? How are you? Why is it an issue? What is it? So I'm going to wear what the fuck I like because it's me, and I'm not going to conform to whatever people think as actually there's now like a generation of comics uh, 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 female comics especially kind of go I'm wearing hot pants on stage and stuff like that and go we're owning it and I'm like well I've always owned it I'm not gonna 
you know. So I have motifs. I'm kind of quite rocky in my dress. But then the weather here is this, so I'm wearing this. And actually, sometimes it's quite nice because if you've got really beautiful, bright neon colours on um, and uh, you're talking about quite dark stuff, that works quite right, well. Right, as a contrast. Yeah. Also, the other thing is that you can kind of... I mean, you can tell that story about being on the bus. You're in the moment. You are the person that you're talking about, which makes it interesting, yeah. right? The, the second thing that I was going to say was, it was interesting to me on International Women's Day, both of our leaders, uh, Tony Abbott, who's the Prime Minister here in Australia, and the leader of the opposition, Bill Shorten, both talked about their daughters and you know how important their daughters were to them. And the first uh, descriptive... Uh, descriptor the first descriptive word they used the first word they used to describe their daughters was beautiful they said they're beautiful intelligent blah 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 and it did strike me even then not that i like i don't think there's an issue that they think their daughters are beautiful of course yeah like you know i'm sure all dads think their daughters are beautiful and that's a yeah. great thing to think but the fact that we still like when we qualify women start with that and i don't think either of them were by the way intentionally no again, it goes and they back just because they just of, think they're beautiful girls right. i'm on my beautiful girls but rather than my smart girls right. my smart fat and like my dad's my dad said something once that was so full-on like my dad is like um god it's interesting if we go back like he was in a band for years and he was a manager of Wembley Stadium and, and he like is, a, was it a successful band they were, like, uh, were they well a, they were kind of like more of like a pub band I okay. think the, the, the highest they kind of did was they like supported Elvis Costello and the attractions when they were kind of doing pub gigs in All the right. 70s sure um, and then my aunt was an actress so there's like quite a lot of creative people on my dad's side mm -hmm. of the family my dad's from quite rich Scottish Presbyterians and my my grand my great grandfather on my mum's side is Romany Gypsy <laughs> so oh. it's like the low like kind right. of a, in terms of class you've got like rich scottish uh -huh. class and then like uh, to the point that when i was born i was disowned for the first year by my grandmother oh. because my my uh grandmother wasn't really keen on my mum because she said she couldn't speak the queen's english oh. so because so you've got like these very rich posh scottish people on one side <laughs> and then like my mum on the other so <laughs> so yeah so that's how we've got we've got this little um so my dad is my dad's quite an interesting character he comes from a family that had money and were educated and he was like pretty much a maths genius at school and he went to grammar school bath boys grammar school uh but then hung around with gangsters like it's such a weird sort of thing and was a big drinker was a big drinker right. and all through my teenage years and my uh, you know uh early to late 20s i'm not afraid to say that we we didn't get on our the discovery of our relationship has been in my late 20s uh, to now is through, through my 30s that my dad we've really come together through comedy since I oh, started doing right? stand up yeah and he loves it and he comes to the fringe every year you've yep, met my dad I have met you know dad. and he go well, he came to see your show yep. which he loved that year <laughs> in the fringe you know so and my dad's got really broad taste he loves Paul Foot but he yep. also watch Reg D Hunter uh -huh. you know so he's 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 very broad um and that's where our relationship has blossomed. But he said something to me, and I think it was 2006, that year of Edinburgh, where we first met, that I couldn't believe it was so full-on feminist, but it's also because I'm his daughter. He said to me, um, he went, uh, the thing is, and I'd never asked him for love advice before. I think I was single at that point. And, uh -huh. and he went, the thing is about you, what you need to remember, and this was my Edinburgh, and I'd also got really skinny. I think I'd just split up with someone. I was like, kind of, it was my first fringe. I was like, ah! you know like and I, I my dad came up and he was like oh please eat a burger please just have something to eat like you look like this tiny wisp and so I think he his heart went I need to and he went he went the thing about you is is that you shine so bright he said and you're you're so smart 
and so beautiful. So he said beautiful, but smart did come right. first. And he said that you need to find someone who so knows themselves, who's so secure in themselves uh -huh. that they're not threatened or challenged by you. And I was like, that's the most incredible statement anyone's right. ever, from the most unexpected place from my dad, who's not really the full on, you know, uh, and we discovered that later on in life. But it, it's so funny how men see their daughters. Yeah. And I never really knew that. And I was like, oh my God, I wish you'd have said this to me when I was 15. Right. Because I, I would have d done a lot less of the shit that I did <laughs> trying to, you know, get, you know, um, you know, get some, not respect, but kind of, you know, just if I'd have known that, if I'd have felt that at 15, right. that would have been incredible. But it was still incredible him saying it then. But um, Yes, exactly. Uh, but Even I, the fact that he... You know, if he wasn't the sort of person who was going to say it at 15, the fact that he kept evolving and learning and, you know, as a person. Because yeah, like some he's people in his don't. 70s now. Some people you know? don't. They just go, fuck it. I've, I've made up my mind on things and I'm not going to evolve anymore. It's too hard. I'm stuck where I am. Like even having that, that capacity to do that, I think is... Yeah. It's a really cool thing. Well, um, anyway, we should finish up anyway. Your phone's ringing, but we've done our hour and I can only do an hour. Yeah. Normally I do longer, but the fucking internet in this hotel room is so shitty. It takes me so long to load it into the internet. Yeah. So um, an hour's good. Um, uh, people can find you in Adelaide at the Rhino Room. What's the show called? It's uh, called Optimus Primed. People should definitely go and see this show. I highly recommend it. I'm going to put this up today so people can hear it beforehand and go and uh, and go and actually Please see Please come. You. I've had like mainly comics <laughs> so far, so, which has been but, lovely. But also six o'clock's a great time to see a show. If you're in Adelaide, the Fringe, like, you know, even if you're going to see something else that night or whatever, but like popping in and seeing a show at six is a really but Go cool... and grab a bite and then go right. and see the next thing at eight o'clock. Perfect. Yeah. See, I'm on an 8.20. There you go. So yeah. Go yeah. and see Tiff's show. Have something to eat. Come to my show. Bang. That's your night. Brilliant. I pro make promise. Yes. Uh, if you want to find her on uh, Twitter, you are what at Tiffany Stevenson. Uh, Tiff Stevenson. At Tiff Stevenson on yeah. Twitter, and it's Stevenson uh, with, with a, a v. v. If people yeah. want to find you, uh, what else? What else can we tell people about? Um, I've got a, a website www.tiffstevenson.co.uk. Go and have a look on that. There's clips of me online if you want to see stuff. Um, uh, some telly stuff with the swears out. Uh, actually, there's a show that I just did in Ireland, which is a new show called Next Week's News. Um, so I've done a couple of episodes of that. And uh, uh, I think because they had the panel there, which was panel was yep. originally an Australian, Australian show. show. So it's all the people that make the panel. It's their new kind of new topical yeah. show. So, you know, there's some clips up on that if you want to see that. There's a whole bit about Barbie being on the cover of Sports Illustrated that I have a rant about that is somewhere up online. So oh, you can go and have nice. a look at that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right, so. Brilliant. Go well, Tiff, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you part of the podcast. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Uh, if people want to catch me, I'm in Adelaide for the rest of the week. Uh, Monday night, uh, I do the long show. So uh, there's no show after me on a Monday night. So if you want to come and see the long version of the show, come on Monday night. Then Brisbane, then Melbourne, uh, then back to the States for a couple of weeks and then back to uh, Sydney for the Sydney Comedy Festival. I, I've talked to, to you all about those on every single podcast. So, you know, you've heard me tell that enough. If you want to find them, willanderson.com.au. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon.